You're listening to Expanding Horizons, the podcast of the Unitarian Church of South Australia, a home of progressive spirituality and free religious thought and action since 1854. The views expressed in these podcasts are those of the speaker and are not intended to represent the position of the Church itself or of the worldwide Unitarian Universalist movement. For more information, visit unitariansa.org.au. Today's reading is uh, a poem by Abhijit Naskar, an Indian neuroscientist and author. It's called Integration is Illumination. Let's rise from ignorance to truth. Benevolence is in the name of God. Let's rise from darkness to light. Mind is the mightiest menorah. Luz, lux, nur, light, by any name, brings the same illumination. And what is this mythical light, if not an act of collective ascension? Light is not the absence of darkness. Light is the absence of indifference. Darkness is symptom. Coldness is the sickness. Once we treat coldness, we'll treat all darkness. I repeat, light by any name brings the same illumination. If not now, when will we put an end to this dehumanization? My topic today is the Festival of Light, not the fundamentalist Christian group that campaigns for family values, a particular kind of family values, but rather we have the Festival of Lights, Diwali, coming up, the Hindu festival, which has been going on for a very long time, and this year it's on 12th of November. I'll tell you the story about how it came to be. It's in the Ramayana, which is a very, very long epic tale of wonderful characters, heroes and gods, and the stories interweave and interlink with each other. So I'll just tell you the part about Rama and his wife Sita how they were banished and when they returned. So Rama was a prince and his father Dasaratha was ailing and thinking about the throne passing on to Rama. However, one of the old king's wives, who was not the mother of Rama, wanted her own son to become the king. And the old king 
as sometimes happens in these stories, had promised his young wife anything she wished for. And she therefore wished for Rama to be banished for 14 years, thinking that that would give her son ample time to take the throne. And when the old man told Rama about the promise and about the demand, Rama felt that it was the proper thing to do to comply. So he and his wife Sita went far away outside the kingdom into a forest, a remote place. But that was the forest where a demon king lived. The god or king, demon, whatever, Ravana. And Ravana had heard there was this beautiful princess that had come to live in the forest. And to be able to get close to the princess, he changed his form into that of a wandering holy man. So beware of wandering holy men. They may not be what they appear. In any case, Ravana approached Sita, and she, thinking he was just a holy man, came close to him, allowing him to kidnap her. And he took her away to his island home. In fact, to Lanka, which we know today as Sri Lanka. And there she was captive. Rama realized what had happened. He learnt that she'd been kidnapped and he was in despair. He set off on a journey, a quest to recover his wife Sita and met many adventures along the way. And at some point he met the monkey god, Hanuman. Now, this was a wonderful thing because Hanuman, being king of the monkeys, was able to be of great help to Rama and wanted to help Rama. Now, in a way, uh, Hanuman was like the internet before there were computers because Hanuman was able to magically get a message out to all of the monkeys in India, all of the known world. So they would chatter away, asking about where Sita was to be found. And so the message came back that she was being captive on the island of Lanka. So a monkey army approached Lanka and fired arrows and missiles, whatever. But of course there was this sea between the land and the island. So the monkeys had a solution. They were able to build a land bridge to the island. Rama was able to cross and kill the demon Ravana with a magic arrow. So he was able to be reunited with his wife Sita. But it wasn't as simple as that because like a number of men who might be listening to the story might suspect, Rama wondered whether Sita had been defiled by Ravana, the demon king, and whether they had done the dirty demon business while she was captive. And so he challenged her to walk through fire to prove her fidelity. Now, many of you might think she should have stopped right there and said, look, I'm not going to put myself into the fire uh, just to prove myself. I've told you that I've kept my chastity and my fidelity. I'm not going to do it. But anyway, since she is drawn as a character 
who was a paragon of faithfulness and obedience, she decides to go through the fire to prove the point. Now, when I told the minister's wife this story, she said she would have left Rama at the point after having gone through the fire, after having proved her honour. That was the point where she should have said, well, if that's the degree of trust in our relationship, I'm out of here. She came through the fire unscathed, unburnt, not even smoking, and Rama decided to take her back. So they proceeded back to the home kingdom where he rightfully should have been king. And the people of the kingdom in advance heard that Rama and Sita were returning, and so they lit a row of lamps along the road to welcome them on the path back home. And this is the meaning of Diwali. It literally means a row of lamps or a parade of light. And it was the welcome home to the rightful king. Now, the story doesn't actually end there either, because once they had returned and Rama regained the throne, Sita sat in the palace as the queen, Rama heard from some of the common people that there was talk about Sita, that maybe she had been defiled by the demon when she was captive. And Rama, being sensitive to public opinion, and you might think no credit to his character, explained to Sita that for the good of everybody's reputation, she would be best to take herself off to an ashram. I suppose in medieval Christian times, he would have told her to get thee to a nunnery. But she agreed as the faithful and dutiful wife to take herself off to an ashram, even though they knew that she was pregnant at the time. So she meets a kind old guru who looks after her at the ashram, and she bears two sons, to Rama, by the way, certainly not to the demon king. And they grow up to be fine, strong, capable young warriors. Now, Rama and his army are travelling into that part of the world on a mission too complicated to explain. But they end up being in conflict with the two young princes who don't know that Sita is their mother. She couldn't explain the whole story to them. It was too painful. They fight Rama's army and vanquish the army. Rama himself is knocked unconscious and the army flees the field. They pick up his crown and take it back home. Hey, Mum, look what we found. She recognises the crown as Rama's and explains to them at this point that Rama is their father and the guru, Sita, and the two boys go back to Rama's body lying on the ground. He, he wakes up, everything is explained, and the guru says, well, Rama, now is the time to take back Sita. Let all be forgiven. And Rama is still not sure whether he should do that or not. And at this point, to modern sensibilities, you might really be wondering why Sita doesn't say, well, this is it, I've had enough. Well, she has, in fact, and she wants to spare herself any further humiliation. 
But the only course she finds open to her is to call upon the earth god to open up and swallow her up. And that's what happens in the story. And that's the end of Sita. For the men in the story, things work out rather better as Rama and the princes go back to the palace. Now, the point of all this story is just to explain Divali. And by the way, there's an interesting aside. I'm always fascinated that some of the Hindi words can be found in modern-day English. And so the D in Divali, meaning light, has come through into the Latin DS and into English as the word day. So quite fascinating and can be explained by the ethnography of the southwestern part of Asia and how language spread from there. Anyway, getting back to the point, light itself has long been an illustration, a metaphor for that deeper part of ourselves. Call it the soul, the spirit, whatever it might be. Some divine spark within ourselves, perhaps. But even going back to the Upanishads, ancient Hindu scriptures, the soul is described as a lamp within. In other words, the light emanating goodness and divinity through the human prism. It is also something we can find in the Christian Bible. And so we see that it is mentioned in what is called the Gospel books. And the one I prefer to refer to, the the book attributed to Thomas, because I think it uh, was written at an early stage and before uh, what we might call the deification of Jesus, which gradually occurred over quite a lengthy period over the first few centuries of the common era. And Thomas verse 33 goes like this. What you hear with your ear and with the other ear, proclaim it on your rooftops. For no one lights a lamp to set it under a bushel or to put it in a hidden place. But the person sets it on the lampstand that all who go in and come out may see its light. Now, what I draw from this is that whether you accept these notions of divinity or simply accept that there is some deep part of ourselves which connects with other people, a spirit of generosity, compassion and humanity, there is something there that we can let shine. And the question I put to you is, how do you bear that light to the people around you? Do you come out with negativities, put-downs, limitations on people, judgments about what's right and wrong? Or do you let that light shine and encourage people, encourage goodness, encourage kindness, being gentle with people? That is a choice that we can all make and we can make a difference in people's lives by letting that light shine. It is a dark and troubled world at times. So ultimately, I would say to you, let us be the light in the darkness.
hope you've enjoyed this Expanding Horizons podcast. These podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter. They can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter. This permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. Please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on Facebook or Twitter by searching SA Unitarians or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.